Let's pray together as we uh, get ready to open God's word. Lord, indeed to you belong all the glory and uh, you are the one who created us. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who has provided a way to keep the standard that you have set and you are the one who is coming again to be the rightful king of this universe and also you are the one who is coming as the judge to judge those who have rebelled against you and have willfully chosen to refuse your sacrifice on that cross so to you we offer this sermon and we pray that through your spirit you will bring about the necessary effect that you have foreordained. We thank you and we love you for your continuing mercy in our lives. Open our hearts as we open your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Easter Sunday, the day traditionally set apart to remind us of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By this God proved that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Romans 4.25 says he died for our sins and was raised for our justification. It's amazing. Only Christ rose from the dead. If you are familiar with the Islamic faith, Muhammad's tomb is be still being protected. Uh, some of the Hindu prophets and gods, so-called gods, their tombs are being guarded. But the only tomb in history that is empty is the tomb of uh, Jesus Christ, which is a convincing proof that Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. And in the, in the providence of God, we find ourselves dealing with this very subject. Uh, for those of you who are joining us this morning, we're going through the a study of the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in the Gospel of John chapter 4 this morning. been working our way through John chapter 4, and um, as I mentioned about two weeks ago, verses 1 through 42 is one theme. One unit runs from verses 1 through 42, and the basic uh, theme of this entire unit is found in verse 42, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's on page uh, 1067, if you're following with me in the Church Bible, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, we have seen so far two messages. We saw verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, that Jesus is the Savior, breaking all barriers to reach the people of the world. We talked in detail about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans and the Jews were not having harmonious relationships. They were hostile to each other. And yet, Jesus breaks all the barriers of his day to show that he does not care about the color. He does not care about your economic status. He does not care about the language you speak. He does not care about anything. He only cares about one thing. He wants to offer himself to you. So verses 1 through 9, he's breaking this barrier to make contact with this outcast woman. A woman whose life was not something that you would consider as morally high. Five husbands, and she was living with someone who was not even her husband. And then in verses 10 through 26, last week we saw how beautifully Jesus offered himself to her. Verse 10 of John chapter 4, he says, If you knew the gift of God, is telling her. The gift of God was Christ himself giving himself to her. And then he says, 
and who it is that you that asks you for a drink you would have asked him this gift of god and he would have given you living water living water is symbolic of eternal life that comes to us through the word of god as applied by the spirit of god so when you accept christ you have eternal life so jesus was offering himself to this woman one who's looked down despised rejected he said i'm giving myself to you and this morning we're going to see from verses 27 through 42 how this outcast woman this outcast woman is now changed and through her life how many lives were changed this is what i want us to understand the main theme really of this unit is this that jesus the savior of the world rejoices in transforming sinners into being faithful witnesses that's that's the business jesus is involved in changing people's lives turning people around 180 degrees around causing them to be his faithful witnesses the samaritan woman is a classic example how jesus changed her and as we work our way through these passages my prayer is simple that jesus christ will transform you and me into being faithful witnesses who will carry this good news what's the good news he is the savior of the world to one and all no barriers nothing that we would joyfully transmit this news to others but in order for us to transmit this to others we must first receive this ourselves as well you cannot give that which you don't have so i pray that if you do not have christ in your life that if christ the gift of god has not been accepted by you that this morning this wonderful morning that would happen there's no greater joy in heaven than when one sinner repents and you can cause great joy in heaven because you have caused great grief by staying away from the lord all these years why not settle that this morning bring joy to the one who created you bring joy to the one who died in your place on that cross bring joy to him and then bring greater joy as you transmit this news to others let's pick up the text from verse 27 verse 26 jesus has revealed himself to her that he is the messiah he is the messiah here is the first time jesus is reve- revealing himself as the messiah and is revealing that to an outcast woman he spent a lot of time in jerusalem among the jewish leaders he did not say that he was the messiah then though he performed many signs that were symbolic or convincing proof that he is the messiah but here openly is coming out and he's saying i am the messiah i am the messiah verse 27 just then as he was talking with this woman his disciples returned now remember they went into town to buy some food for jesus because a rabbi who has disciples the disciples are supposed to take care of the rabbi their teacher so they go to buy some food and bring it for jesus and as they return notice what is happening here they were surprised to find him talking with the woman but no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her now keep in mind i mentioned to you clearly rabbis would not talk to women in public though israel had a good high opinion about women by the time jesus came into this world women were not looked upon with favor in fact as i mentioned before women were considered not even faithful witnesses in a court of law they were 
There was a lot of sayings. If you were seen talking with a woman in public, you'd be looked down. And in fact, there's one uh, rabbinic uh, saying that says, those who spend too much time talking to a woman and even teaching her the word of God are fit to go to hell. That's the kind of idea they had. And it's, it's in that context, Jesus is breaking those barriers and going and talking. He doesn't really care about traditions, does he? He only cares about people because he has a genuine heart of love. So the disciples are wondering, what is going on here? They're surprised. Him, a rabbi, talking with this woman. But they don't question Jesus, quite possibly because the woman is still there and she's leaving and Jesus picks up the conversation. He's talking to them. Or maybe that by now they're used to Jesus not subscribing to cultural prohibitions. And obviously they would not have doubted his motive. Um, but they did not fully realize yet that to Jesus, nobody is inferior. They had not yet fully realized that. In fact, as they walk with Jesus, they would realize more and more that Jesus loves all kind of people, including women, who actually would be part of his ministry. You don't need to turn to it, but in Luke 8, you find this lot of women who accompany him. Mary Magdalene, one of the women, accompanies him, out of whom seven demons were even cast out. In fact, Luke 8, 3 says, some women even contributed for Jesus' ministry. So Jesus did not differentiate. Like the Apostle Paul, when you read his letters, you find constantly he talks about women who supported him in his ministry. To kind of get the understanding that God does not show partiality. He gives distinct roles for male and females, men and women, husbands and wives. The Bible calls for certain clear roles. But spiritually speaking, we're all equal in Christ. So they don't question him. Verse 28, notice the woman's, what she does. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So the woman sees the disciples coming. Obviously she would have seen them bringing food. So she immediately leaves the water pot. Now that's a significant thing. Because the water pot was a precious commodity during those days. She's leaving it behind. Now why is she leaving it behind? Quite possibly she's leaving it behind because she has an intention to come back and she wants that water pot to be used by Jesus and his disciples. I think that's more in line. Or it's also possible that she's excited. She wants to carry this news to the townspeople to say, here's the Messiah. You can't rule that out as well. Notice there's a sense of urgency in her. And that, that's something that you and I should remember. As witnesses of Jesus Christ, we should have a sense of urgency in taking the gospel to people. A lot of times, we hymn and haw and we come under this pious umbrella of, I'm just praying about being a witness. But we actually never open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. I'm not saying we should keep hammering the, the news again and again to them to the point of irritating them. That's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, that actually drives people away. And I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is a willingness to share Jesus. This woman does that. There's a sense of urgency. But then notice also, it's not just urgency, she applies wisdom. Look at verse 29. How tactfully she communicates the good news about Jesus. Now keep in mind, what's her background? She's not someone who's morally good. She's looked down. That's why she would come at noon to get water alone, because usually women will come either in the mornings or late in the evening when the sun is not so uh, hot. 
as well as they don't come alone. The very fact she came alone was that she was an outcast. But this outcast knows that her testimony is, people are not going to hear her testimony. But how tactfully she handles this. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Obviously she's exaggerating a little bit everything, but the point was, what she's saying is this, he knew the kind of person I am. What she is doing is this. She is telling people, I have no problem in telling that I am a sinner. And this God, this Messiah, knows that I am a sinner. So she is establishing some kind of credibility that even they would agree. They would say, of course, we know what kind of a woman you are. You don't need to convince us who you are. So she is coming to a situation where she can find like some kind of a common ground. He told me everything I am. And then she's throwing it out there. Could this be the Messiah? See, from the, for the Samaritan's viewpoint, the Messiah was not like a political figure. A Messiah was someone who would give more spiritual truth to them. Give, open their eyes to more spiritual understanding. So, she's telling the townspeople, you know, we don't have enough theological understanding. We're waiting for this Messiah to come. But, could this be the Messiah? Maybe you can come and ask all your questions to him. Like I asked, where do we worship this mountain or that mountain? Who's got it right? The Jews or us? So she's kind of throwing it out there without really forcing them. Come and check it out for yourself. Come and see. That's the idea. Come and see. Like in John 1 we read, even Andrew was doing this. Come and see. Come and see. Or Jesus himself offered that. Come and see. That's the kind of thing he's doing. Come and see. And I think... We need to understand that as well. In Colossians 4, Paul says, you know, walk in wisdom with outsiders. Meaning, you know, as a witness of Jesus Christ, apply wisdom. And simply stated, God has given us a brain. He wants us to use it properly. Use it with wisdom in witnessing. This woman was no longer afraid or embarrassed to talk about her past. You see, a lot of times we're very embarrassed to talk about our past. We think, you know, I don't want anyone to know about how filthy I am. But friends, God knows how filthy we are. And yet, He offers Himself to us. And when Jesus offers Himself to us, no longer are we ashamed of ourselves. It does not mean that we justify our sins. If we have done something wrong, it is still wrong. But what we are saying is this, even though I have done so much wrong, this loving Savior has forgiven me. And this loving Savior can forgive you also. We don't need to be pretend to pretend something that we really are not. Don't think the other person who knows about you is an idiot. They know. They want honesty. They want transparency. And this woman is having no problem. She knew, even though I had a bad background, Jesus loves me and he can love you too. It had its intended effect. Look at verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Their curiosity was now piqued. Okay, let's go and check it out ourselves. Meanwhile, the scene shifts back to the well here. Look at verse 31. Disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Because the disciples' goal was to make sure the rabbi was healthy. They, all the rabbi's needs were met. So they brought, bring the food, but Jesus is not touching them. Touching the food. Obviously, Jesus' mind is on the woman and he knows what's coming. So he's preparing the disciples. He has no time to eat right now. He's preparing them to meet this whole town that is going to be coming. Verse 32, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Tired he is, thirsty he is, 
hungry he is, yet Jesus is using this time to teach yet another profound lesson to the disciples. He is saying simply this, I am spiritually satisfied by having shared the good news with this woman. They still don't get it because they are on a physical level. Verse 33 says, they, the, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? When I mean, they saw the woman there, could she have brought food? Somebody else bring food? Then Jesus explained to them, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus now explains to them, I'm talking to you, a spiritual principle. Satisfying the Father gives me true satisfaction. That's what Jesus is saying. I live to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. And by doing that, I have fulfillment. I have nourishment. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I've come to preach the truth, to live the truth, and ultimately to die for the truth. That's my main food. Where Israel disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3, which is again repeated in Matthew 4.4 4 by the Lord himself. That's what Jesus is saying. Yes, there's this physical food. And I understand, I need physical food. Jesus is not against us eating physical food. But he says, your priority should be in obeying the will of the Father. And this is the will of the Father, that everyone looks to the Son for forgiveness of sins. And those who have done that, share this news with others, so that they can look to the Son as well. So that was Jesus' food. Then he goes on to emphasize more about the importance of living for this food, this food that satisfies, the food that symbolizes doing the will of God. It says verse 35 and 36, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Jesus is using agricultural image here. Something that they can easily understand. He says here it's still four months until harvest. Typically it was about six months. But perhaps from the time that he's talking to them, it was only four months. We're not fully sure. But the idea is this. There's typically a delay between the time you sow and the time you harvest. But he is saying here to these disciples, open your eyes. Look. Look at the fields. They're white for harvest, as some translations put it, basically indicating probably these Samaritans were coming with white clothes. They're walking through the fields. The idea is they're ripe for harvest. Now, the word harvest in the Bible is also talked about harvest in terms of judgment. When Jesus Christ comes, you don't need to turn to it now. You can look it up later. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30 and verses 36 through 43. Jesus talks about when he will come, there will be a harvesting. Because those who pretend to be Christians, that are fooling others and fooling themselves, he uses, he uses the parable to talk about the wheat and the tares. They look very similar. You and I cannot differentiate. But when he comes for the harvest, he will take the tares, the false Christians, those who pretend, those who are playing the game of being a Christian, and cast them into hell. But that's not the harvest he's having in mind here. Here the harvest, in, in terms of harvesting of souls for eternal life. A spiritual harvest. That's the idea here. In the physical realm, there's a period of time between sowing and 
reaping. But in the spiritual realm, what Jesus is saying is this, my coming by the Messiah, me coming, I've already assured in this end time harvest in which sowing and reaping will together coincide. The idea is this, he has just sowed a seed in the Samaritan woman's heart and she is bringing the whole town people to be harvested. There wasn't a whole lot of time delay there. It's kind of a picture of the Messiah coming in, setting up his kingdom and whereby you have this agricultural prosperity. There's an Old Testament book called Amos. In Amos 9 verse 13, it's a prophecy talks about when the Messiah would come. The agricultural prosperity would be so much where the person who's harvesting and the person who's sowing, it's together because it's so quick, it's so abundant. That's the picture kind of idea Jesus is giving here. I've come and souls are going to be harvested. So he's telling his disciples, open your eyes. It calls for spiritual vigilance. Don't be lazy. There's a harvest out there. I want you, my witnesses, my disciples, my followers, to be active, to be involved in that. That's the food that will not perish. That's what I'm transforming you people into. You are a bunch of ragtag people going about your own way, seeking your own things. But now I've changed you. I've given you a real purpose to live. To point people to me. The sense of urgency. Sense of urgency. And he talks about this reward in verse 36. Even now the one who draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. It's beautiful here. He's talking about you're going to get a reward when you're involved in this witnessing work. And that reward is something that's for eternity. Eternal life. It's not like a temporary reward. Picture this. Suppose your boss was to come into work. Monday morning, you go. And he comes and says, you know what, this December, year end, we're going to have a healthy bonus program. Something that the company's never had. Everyone's going to get 25%, 50% of whatever they're making now is just bonus if certain tasks are done. This is good money. What would be your typical response? You'd immediately chart out a game plan. What I need to do to get that bonus? Your eye will be fixed on that bonus. You'll think, oh, if that money comes, I can take care of this, I can take care of that. You're working towards that, you'll give your all. But that money is still temporary. Whatever you use that money for, extending your house or fixing your house or buying a car or whatever it is, still temporary. But yet we'll pour our energy into that. But Jesus is saying here, look, when you pour your energy into something like this, this is for eternal life. Meaning, this will last not just for a short period. It will last for all eternity. Go by the graveyard. Look at the tombstone of a rich man and a poor man. If he does get a tombstone, one thing you will notice, date of birth and date of death. And between that, you get a hyphen. That's all. The rich gets a hyphen, the poor gets a hyphen. But yet for that little hyphen, we tend to focus our energy on. But think about eternity. Forever. It's something that our finite minds have a hard time understanding. That is why we need to think about eternity to live in the temporary rightly. People are dying left and right around us. Young people. The 14-year-old boy that died last week. Or about 
those, that girl that died, that one who worked in Tim Hortons, who died in the car crash. I mean, we hear these news. And yet somehow we think, I would not feature in that news, at least not yet. We somehow think we're going to live long and then deal with it. But the time is now. The time is now. And that same attitude, not only for us to set our life right with God, but also when we see others, we should have a love towards them. If someone is dying of physical disease and you know you have a cure to tell them, would you not tell them? In love, tell them. Point them to Christ. They reject you, don't retaliate. Just pray for them. Because once upon a time, we rejected when people came and told us about Christ. So Jesus is saying here to his disciples, look, you are weeping of what I've sown, as well as what the Old Testament prophets, including John the Baptist, they've sown. But also, what you reap, someone else is going to sow. But in this context here, he says, look, I've come, the rain has come. Sower and reaper may be glad together, which is also joyful for us in one way, because even if we're not involved in the reaping, we're involved in the sowing, one day, together the sower and the reaper will be glad. Often we find ourselves on the sowing side, not on the reaping side. Sometimes we move into neighborhoods that have these old trees. Somebody planted those trees and we're enjoying that shade. Something along those lines. You plant a seed. Share the gospel. Let God do whatever He wants to do with that. So there's that great motivation for us to continue in evangelism. Jesus goes on. Just illustrating what I said. One sows and another reaps. is true. That's true. A lot of times it is that case. In this case, it was so close. It, it, it's a picture. Again, the gospel spreading to Samaria as well. As the apostles later will take it out to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. And then he says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Yes, they did not work for it. Others have done the hard work. And you reap the benefits of their labor. But the implication also is, you will be laboring also apostles. Others will reap it. And we are reaping it. Is it not? Extended chain that's come down. And then verses 39 to 42. This wonderful harvest we see here. So they come Obviously, the implication between 38 and 39 is Jesus has preached to them. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Don't underestimate the power of your own testimony. This woman, an outcast, did she ever have an idea that the whole town would change? All she did was, look, this is what happened to me. She just went and shared, that's all. God used the life of one outcast woman. One woman who's transformed. And see what he did. He brought a great, great harvest. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Obviously they would have had a lot of questions. So he stays. Teaching them. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Not just the savior of the Jews, but the savior of the world. Notice, Jesus does not perform any miraculous signs. Nothing. Yet, they believed because of verses 41 and 42. Look at 41. Because of his words, many more became believers. Verse 42. Again, 
the same idea we have heard for ourselves. It's the message that saves people. Go back to John chapter 2. These are the religious people. In verse 23, he's in Jerusalem. It says here, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. See, they saw the signs and they believed. This is superficial belief. It was not genuine belief. How do we know? Because verse 24 and 25, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. It was superficial belief. They just saw the signs and miracles. So they followed Jesus. Hey, if this guy can fix my broken marriage, if this guy can fix my job, if this guy can fix my career, my house, my body, tell me where to sign. I'll follow. That's false superficial belief. In John 12.37, it says, even though they saw many miraculous signs, they still did not believe in Him. Well, yes, sometimes God can use a sign to bring people to Himself. But at the end of the day, salvation comes only through hearing the message and experiencing the conviction of sin and turning ourselves into Christ by faith and believing in Him that He died in our place as our substitute and rose again. That's what brings salvation. These Samaritans they heard the word and they responded to it. A wonderful harvest indeed. Two things to take away from this for us. Number one, look at the Samaritan woman again. She knew she had a loving Savior despite someone who even knew of her past and yet he offered himself to her. And friend, that's the same thing Jesus does even now. Not only your past sins, but present and future sins that you're going to commit, Jesus knows. And He still wants to give you everlasting life. He's offering Himself to you. See, there's something different between just offering something and offering yourself. I mean, imagine if your spouse tells you, I'm offering this good food to you, but I'm not offering myself. Or someone proposes to you, Lady, someone proposes to you, says, I'm offering this ring to you. I'm not sure if I'm offering myself to you. You'd find that not so appealing. Well, at least in some cases, some people say, I'll take the ring, forget the guy. But <laughs> No, generally speaking, you want the person. But here Jesus is saying, it's not just eternal life I'm offering you. I'm offering myself to you. That's the beauty. The Creator offering Himself, and He's offering Himself to you this morning. What are you going to do? What really are you going to do? I'm not calling you to some kind of religious experience or to join a religion or join a church. I'm calling you to a relationship with the one who made you. And he's the one who says, come to me, all, all of you. You're tired of pursuing your own things. The water that the world offers is empty. Friend, it's empty. This project satisfies you, you think, once that is done, there's another project, there's another, there's another, there's another. This relationship you think satisfies you? No, it's another, it's another. That's what the woman was. Five, five husbands. 
And the sixth one, still she was not satisfied, but she got Jesus. She's satisfied. Jesus wants to satisfy you. But you've got to humble yourself. You've got to let go of your pride and your own presuppositions and your fears and come to Him on your knees and you'll find He'll exalt you into heaven. Secondly, if you've accepted that offer, you cannot but tell others about Jesus. Like this woman did. To the very end, we don't even know her name. A nameless woman. It doesn't matter, but she has a new name. She's a child of God. That's the idea. It doesn't matter whether God exalts us in this society or not. That's irrelevant. In all honesty, that's really irrelevant. Because at best that will only last for another 40, 50, 60, 70 years. That's it. But if you have your name recorded in the book of life, that's good enough. And you take that news to others. This is the Lord's will for us to be His witnesses. People typically pay a lot of attention the last words of a dying person. Jesus, as he was ascending, he died, he rose again as he ascended. His last words pretty much were, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel. Be my witness. Be my witness. Don't tamper with the message. The message is very clearly given in Luke 24. Repentance for forgiveness for sins should be preached where you are in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's the state, in Samaria, the adjacent state, and to all ends of the earth. Meaning, you don't tailor your message based on the culture. It's repentance and faith, non-negotiables. If you don't preach repentance, you're a false witness. You are a false witness. You've got to call people to turn from their sins. Remember last week we saw the very fact that Jesus called this woman out to confess her sin. That's why he said, you have no husband or go call your husband. Before you give living water, Isaiah 55 talks about God giving living water. But then what does he say in verse 6? Let the wicked forsake his way. There's no eternal life, no living water without repentance. And there's no repentance without conviction of sin. There's no conviction of sin unless we see sin staring in our face. So when you present the gospel message, help people to see their sin. Not with an arrogant attitude, but with a humble attitude. Don't be afraid to talk about your own sinful life. You don't need to get into all the gory details, but you can say, you know, I was, I'm still a sinner, but you know, Christ saved me. He took me with my sin. Yes, I'm saved now, but He's not looking for perfection. That should be our desire. Just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus has sent us into this world to be His witnesses. The disciples didn't even talk to the woman, but Jesus, by His life, is giving an example to them. This is what you ought to be. You see, they did not want to talk to the Samaritans because at the core they did not love people who are not their kind. But we should learn from Jesus. Love everyone. It doesn't matter whether they are your kind or not. There's only one kind. Mankind. That's it. That's why every day we should ask God. God, give me a heart to love people. Love should be the basis upon which we take the gospel to people. Evangelism should not come from a sense of grudging duty, but rather from a heart that loves God and loves others. So what if they reject us? It's okay. It's okay. Pray for them. Develop a thick skin and a tender heart. Because before you become a Christian, you're very thin-skinned and a hard heart. So it reverses. It reverses. Evangelism is one means through which we glorify our God, as well as we benefit others.
Don't keep running after food that perishes. This is what God's called us. Yes, we should glorify God in our workplaces. I've always said this. Christians should be the excellent of employees in their workplace. You must benefit others. Absolutely no doubt about it. In our neighborhoods, we should be a blessing to others. But all those things are means through which we tell people, Jesus has changed my life. That's the idea. That's the idea. Let's resolve from this day forward. We're going to use our money, our energy, our talents as best as we can for this eternal harvest in our midst as well as wherever we ourselves cannot go. And folks, don't underestimate every effort you take for Jesus. You don't know the impact. This Samaritan woman, one woman God used to turn an entire village to himself. But that's what Jesus specializes in. Taking sinners, outcasts, and transforming them into his image. Just keep sowing faithfully and leave the results with God. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity that we could see how your son is involved in the business of changing lives. Many here can testify of that fact. Perhaps there are some here who are yet unable to testify of that because they've not experienced this. My prayer, God, is this, that they would experience this. Or they might not be morally bad as a Samaritan woman. They might, in fact, be very good. Faithful employees, faithful husbands, faithful wives, faithful parents, faithful children. They're doing everything good. But help them also to realize, Lord, that there is none who is perfect. Nicodemus, the religious leader of his day, in John chapter 3 we read, he needed a new birth. The Samaritan woman needed new birth. We all need new birth. Because one day, we will see you face to face, and that day may be today. None of us know how long we have to live. God, I pray that there is none here this morning who will leave this place without having an encounter with you. Please, please, use these feeble words of mine to draw them to yourself. And I pray for those who are your children, who experience the new birth by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus alone. Our prayer is that we will resolve in our lives, Lord, to dedicate everything we have to further the gospel. In whatever sphere you've called us to do that, help us, Lord, to have heavenly priorities, to have a sense of urgency, to apply wisdom, to have the right priority, and to also have the trust that we just need to keep sowing the seed and you will use it according to your sovereign will and sovereign purposes. You are God and you will accomplish all that pleases you. Seal these truths to our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.